Welcome to Thomas Anonymous with Tommy Natoli. That's me. Today I have an all-American tale to tell. Chapter 21, California Creaming. Nowadays, when I visit Wareham, I spend most of the time there pondering and daydreaming. First, I'm super nostalgic and I think, oh my god, my hometown is so quaint and cute, and I do my fair share of time skipping down memory lane. <gasps> that's where I got hit by a car on my bike! Aw, that's where I did cocaine and got fired! That's where Kate walked over a flattened possum corpse! Ah, Wareham. The rare visits that I am there, I kind of can't believe it's real and that the place in my memory still stands in existence. It's been over 10 years since I left, and when I'm there, I'm left with a feeling of pride for having escaped. No matter what shape my career ever takes or doesn't take, I am already a success just by not being in Wareham. I remember the day I left. Wait a second, do I? I left twice because if you know anything about the curse of Wareham, it's that nobody escapes the first time. And they're usually going to Florida. Actually, now that I think about it, I think it took three times if we count the time I went to New York, which I guess we have to because, yeah. Anyway, I'm getting distracted. I left for California on an Amtrak train. Yes, you heard me. On a train! Why a train? Well, okay, at the time, a one-way ticket was cheaper on the train than it was to fly, and also, I was making a big, big move across the country with no plan and barely any money. I did not need to jet-set six hours to my new life. I needed the three-day trip to process what the hell I was doing, and not to mention prepare myself to see my dad. I had not seen him in a decade, and the train offered me some time to think and compartmentalize all of this while gazing out to the landscape of America. So seen. The train is awesome, because I also got to do a shit ton of writing and binge read some Dan Brown novels. Also, I hate to brag here, but it was 2007 and I had a super high-tech MP3 player, so take that, me. The train is a pretty cool experience, and I think everyone should do it in their lifetime, but don't do it the way I did it. Wait until you actually have some money to do it right. I was able to hang because I was 24, and what the fuck ever, you guys? I'm 24, I do what I want. The train has fancy sleeper cars for long trips, but I was not on one of those. Oh no, not this bitch. I was just in a regular seat, upright position for three goddamn days. And the train is like its own little horrible camp or hotel. You have like your seat and that's like your tent or your area, but then you have free reign to roam about the train. There is a viewing car and that is the part of the train that's just all windows and has seats and booths for passengers. And there's also like a dining car. It's super cute. And it's in those places that I met and saw the most interesting strange people. A Rastafarian man sang me a song one day in the snack bar car, and it wasn't just a casual tune. This was like a man sitting directly across from me making awkward eye lock and singing a bad original melody. Another time a guy was sitting across from me and he went on and on about he was a manager for musicians and he was clearly full of shit, but it was really fun to watch him get really drunk. And speaking of, I got shit-tanked with a bunch of straight bros I never saw again. The train is fabulous. Oh, and they sometimes show a movie. It was an amazing three-day trip across country meeting Amish people and smoking cigarettes in Utah. I've taken the cross-country train trip three times in my life, so honestly, it could be its own chapter or even book, but I'm too busy for that. As we approached Los Angeles, it was early dawn, and the sunrise was welcoming me like glowing orange stage lights revealing Act 2. 
the West Coast. Something about the colors of that morning sun and I knew I was exactly where I was supposed to be. Then the reality of seeing my dad whacked me upside the head and I had to get my shit together. Dad was picking me up at Union Station downtown Los Angeles and then taking me back up to his tiny mountain town he had been living in. As I got off the train and made my way through the station, I was so excited to have finally arrived. I made it to California! Me! I had to go inside to call him because I needed to find a payphone. Google it, kids. Yes, a payphone, because I made that train trip cross-country with no phone. Yeah, I'm fucking hardcore, you guys. Come on, keep up. Anyway, I found a payphone and dug out the envelope full of change that I had brought just for the purpose of having to call people. See, I may not ever have a real concrete plan, but I'm always prepared. Don't fuck with my preparation, because it's top-notch, grade-A, top-of-the-line prep. Me. What I wasn't prepared for was when my dad answered the phone and said, Ah, shit, fuck, is that today? Uh, is there any way you can take a train to a closer town? Yeah, Dad, I literally just got off the train in Los Angeles from Boston, and I'm well-versed on the commuter rail system here. No! Come fucking get me! Ugh! He told me it was going to be about five hours, but then he'd be there. <laughs> five hours? I've been sitting on a train for 72 hours in my own human grossness. Sure, I don't mind waiting around the Los Angeles heat five more hours. Take your time! To be fair, his stupid mountain town was two hours away, and... He had just recovered from a major aneurysm, so I didn't throw the tantrum most people would expect me to. I still had a book that I hadn't read on the train, so I busted it out and I sunk deep into Stephen King's misery. I sat outside Union Station with my long pink hair hidden under my army green bandana, safety pin earrings, and pyramid-studded jeans that I had made all by myself like a true fucking scenester. Me! I know, I get it, I was pretty fucking emo, but I was still fabulous me, and my integrity stands by all of my choices, even if those choices are horrible fashion statements, poser piercings, and my love for Panic at the Disco. I was fully engulfed into my book when a man's voice immediately got my attention. Hey, you need a ride? I looked up and locked in on the voice, who I did not recognize at all. But then I realized, holy shit, that's him. That's my dad. He stood next to his butch white truck with that beaming smile saying something about what the fuck. My dad said what the fuck a lot. It was like kind of his brand. What the fuck? He looked so different to me. I was really thrown off and I tried so hard to not look shocked. I mean, sure, like he just had his issues with his health and everything, but... I knew my dad as a younger 40-somethinger who wore skinny jeans, had long dark hair, and worked at the Hard Rock Cafe. And right now, I was looking at a gray-haired, aged, chubby version of that person. The ride to the small mountain town was filled with scenic views of massive mountains that don't even exist on the East Coast. My dad was a general contractor, and one of his man-workers was driving the truck and chain-smoking camel cigarettes. After the long-as-fuck drive up to Pine Mountain Club, California, we finally arrived. This was and is a super cute, tiny, adorable mountain village full of retired folks and young people hiding from the law. There were two sides of town, the side with the dive bar and the restaurant, and then across the street was the fancy country club. Did I just move 3,000 miles across the country to another small town hours away from the real city? <laughs> yep, I sure did. But at first I didn't care because I was so excited to be in California and to be starting a new life and meeting new people. Day one, I realized my dad was like a local celebrity as we walked into the dive bar and a crowd of people inside immediately cheered with glee that he had arrived. And that basically happened everywhere we went. They all called him Boston Mike. It doesn't take rocket science to figure that one out. His name was Michael and he was from Boston. Mountain folk keep it simple. We'd go into the coffee shop, Boston Mike, into the general store, Boston honey, how are you? Into the hardware store, Boston. 
At first, I was slightly offended when I would meet everyone because every single person's first reaction to Boston Mike's son was, Oh my god, you have a kid? To which I would always chime in, He has six kids. Bursted that fucking bubble. Me. To be totally honest, this was a magical time because I didn't have my dad growing up. I met him when I was 12 years old and just the word dad was so awkward and foreign to me. But this situation of being 3,000 miles away from home and starting anew was awesome. People talked to us and treated us as if we were father and son that grew up together and spent our whole lives knowing each other. They didn't know all the like real dysfunction and I did not care to correct them. As emo as it is, I feel like this time I got to have with my dad really fixed a part of my childhood heart that had been so broken and sad up until that point. And I'm super lucky and grateful because there are millions of boys who grew up in our country who never know their dad or never get to have any kind of dad experience. And at the time, I knew I was lucky too, so I really did try and enjoy and cherish that time together. But then my dad wanted me to help with his business, his construction business which I pretended at first to totally be into, until he wanted me to hang drywall one day with his worker, Fernando. And I had to break to him like, look, Dad, unless you're trying to hook me up with Fernando, mm, this is a hard no for me. Day three, out in my new California life, my dad introduced me to the owner of the restaurant below the dive bar, and before I knew it, I had a full-time job at the Screaming Squirrel restaurant. You heard me. We didn't serve squirrels, but we did have a convicted felon as the head cook, and the owner was always buying us shots on the job, so all in all, a great place to work. The Screaming Squirrel was a party job. We would smoke weed in the kitchen, we'd use those plastic two-ounce sauce cups for shots, and overall participated in excessive debauchery. Since my dad was a local celebrity, I instantly became his local celebrity son and was accepted by mostly everyone right away. Except the haters, but <laughs> hate is gonna hate yo. Pine Mountain Club, PMC, is a crazy, cute village town with a bazillion wackadoodle characters that you just cannot believe are real. This part of life could also be its own book, but I don't have that kind of time. Also, don't care. As I made friends and worked my new job in the new town with my new life, I realized I had to leave my dad. Not abandon him, just move out of his house. I liked this magical new bro bond we were having, drinking beers with him on the deck outside, watching the mountain sunset, going to taco night together and then boozing it up even though he wasn't supposed to. Oh, it sounds like we were dating. When we were at home around his girlfriend, he had a whole system of lies. Like he would say, get me a green. And what that meant was to go get a non-alcoholic beer for him, dump it out and pour a real beer in that bottle. He was a genius. All that stuff was great. What wasn't great was starting to see the real at-home mood swing version of my dad. Out and about in public, my dad was the man. He was a super social happy butterfly. But then sometimes at home, his darkness would take over and I could hear through the wall things like, leave me alone, you fucking cunt. Oh, that's where I get it from. Copy that. I stayed with him for maybe a month and then I moved out and rented a room from a girl in a trailer. Me. I loved my dad and I wanted to keep the newfound relationship we had in the positive and if I stayed there in his house, I would have grown to hate him and be super annoyed by him. I remember the moment that did it for me. It was a window into what I would have hated about my dad if I had grown up with him. My brother Mikey had come out for a couple weeks and we were all hanging on the back deck at dad's. My brother and I decided to go in the hot tub and we were all drinking, having a good time, but the water in the hot tub was super duper hot. I don't know the exact temperature and I love hot tubs, but this thing was just set too fucking high. Like, we couldn't put more than our feet in because it was scalding. And that's when my dad kind of lost it on us. Me and my brother sitting on the edge of the hot tub while he yelled and yelled about, Just get in the fucking hot tub, you pussies! Like, 
It was a very stereotypical moment of a dad emasculating his sons, which thanks to Fat Matt, I was very well versed in dealing with. I didn't react at all. I just sat there and let him yell, mostly because he was drunk and saying or doing anything in those situations is pretty useless. In that moment, I was grateful for my stupid mom, grateful that she left him, grateful that he wasn't part of my childhood. Like, sure, Fat Matt sucked ass, but at least he wasn't a drunk. So I knew then at that hot tub moment that I couldn't stay with him because I didn't want my newfound dad world to be tainted by his weird darkness. I have enough of my own darkness. I don't need that. Keep that shit to yourself. Dad, I'm moving to the trailer park. I'm glad I did move. Not only did it open me up to a whole new world of independence, but it kept me and my dad's relationship intact. By leaving my dad's house, I was able to always experience the best version of him. He used to walk right into the kitchen of the Screaming Squirrel and give my grown 24-year-old ass a hug and a kiss. He didn't care, and it was fucking awesome. One night at the bar, he and I were outside smoking cigarettes, and he started talking about this girl, Jessica, that was nearby. He was doing that man thing, talking about how hot she was, and how he would do this, and he would do that with her. He'd take her camping and have a great time. And my 24-year-old ego could not help but think, um, hello, you're like 50-something, and there's no way in hell she's gonna go camping with you. Plus, not to mention, you have a girlfriend at home. So, I did what any other son would have done in that situation, and I fucked Jessica. I ended up fucking Jessica a few times, but unlike my ladies in the past, it was becoming more and more difficult to do that. You know, have sex with girls. Oh yeah, I was still gay. Got it. The sex wasn't bad, it was just really super awkward. And the best part here was that I was repeating my patterns as Jessica had two kids and was a single mom. Jesus fucking Christ, Tommy, are you seriously doing this again? Is that your type? And like, all for what? To prove to your dad you can crush puss? Well, yeah. Even though he knows I'm bi, and even though I spent a better part of the previous year getting blown by men at rest stops, there was still that deep-rooted need in me to prove to him that I am masculine man who can get attractive woman, we will make babies and find mortgage, you be proud. <sighs> me. It's okay. We uh, dated a very short time, and then I cut it off by not speaking to her for a couple weeks. Duh. Jessica was the last time I ever had sex with a girl. Wait a minute, was it? <gasps> no, it wasn't. Shit, I almost forgot about Mrs. Robinson. Okay, so Mrs. Robinson was a 40-year-old MILF, and she was always super drunk and super horny. I totally had sex with Mrs. Robinson 1.5 times thanks to a bottle of vodka and 14 Xanax. Just kidding, it was one Xanax, and I felt great. And for the record, she was super tight. Mr. Robinson was super pissed, but he couldn't have been that mad because later down the road, he and I would end up making out and me playing with his D. Hmm, sounds like the joke's on him. Anyway, that was the last time I slept with a woman. Wait a minute, was it? Oh, God, shit, no, it wasn't. I forgot about the three-way I had with this guy Derek and his girlfriend. His girlfriend was really dragging the party down, but I rallied for them. Derek was a hipster 20-somethinger who always hung in the coffee shop in town. We would both always be in there because I worked next door and it was a small village where the only thing to do in the morning was hang out at the coffee shop. That and it was the only place in town with Wi-Fi. After a few weeks of small talk and subtle hints of pansexuality being dropped, Eric finally heard the rumors around town that I was bi. Sure, whatever. He asked me if sometime when his girlfriend was in town visiting if I wanted to three-way with them. I'm super big into the yes and thing, especially if it's something I'm not sure I want to do. I immediately agree to it and then spend all the time in between panicking about what I just agreed to. Me. At this point, I'd had my fling with Jessica, banged a 40-year-old hot mom, and I was just ready to be done with my charade of loving puss. My super-duper horniness of being a teenager had worn off, and I was now getting to a point where I 
just couldn't get hard for girls. My erections were appearing only for boys, and I was okay with that. After a few weeks of tease talking about our three-way, Eric was getting super pumped about it and was obsessed with DP. Double penetration. He was very explicit most every time I saw him how he wanted one of us to be in her V and one of us to be in her A. Okay, I get it. All I could think was, does this poor girl really want this to happen? Because it sounds so busy on her part. I started to secretly hope that the girlfriend would never have time to come visit. Yeah, that's it, and then maybe me and Derek could just blow each other and have a nice, relaxing night together. Of course, the second I had that thought was the day they both arrived at the coffee shop. Fuck. Ugh. I did a really good job at avoiding them and blowing them off when confronted with arranging the three-way. I really didn't want to fuck this chick, but I was super into Derek, so like now what do I do? Am I gonna fuck this girl with her boyfriend just to get and be close to her boyfriend? You bet your gay ass I'm gonna. I truly was avoiding them, which is why they ended up having to ambush me at work. One night, while closing down the luxurious Screaming Squirrel restaurant, Derek and girlfriend walked in and we exchanged our normal pleasantries of how are you, what's going on at the bar tonight, blah 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 blah. After some small talk, they let me know that they have their place all set up for us and that if I wanted to, I could come over tonight. Me, being the professional liar and ghoster, immediately told them I was way too gross. I just cleaned the grease trap and it just wasn't a good night. Sorry. They said they figured that and that they had an extra pair of clothes waiting for me at their place with a hot shower. Oh, brother. Great, I said. <laughs> that works. <laughs> well, let me just close up here and then I'll meet you over there. They said, no, they would wait for me. <laughs> Damn, they're on to my shadiness. Sure enough, they waited until I was done, and then we all drove back to their place. <sighs> when we entered the house, the living room had been turned into a sex bedroom. A king-sized mattress was in the middle of the room with sheets, blankets, and pillows surrounding it like a soft, cozy road barrier. There were even these silk-like pieces of fabric hanging from the ceiling and draped over lamps, and it felt like a Roman orgy was about to go down. I was scared shitless. Meanwhile, Eric was getting hard, and his girlfriend was leading me into the bathroom for my shower. She was naked and in the shower telling me to come in and join her. Everything in me was just like, no, I don't want to get in that shower. I told her that I had to get my clothes out of the car. And she looked confused. What? Why? But we have some clothes here for you. Oh, no, no, I said as I slowly backed out of the bathroom. I need to... I need the ones I have in my car. I'll be right back. And we all know what happens next. I got in my car and peace the fuck out of there. Me! I don't know what I was thinking. It's not like we were in the city and I would have a good chance of avoiding them. This was a mountain town with like two fucking people in it, so of course I was going to have to see them again. I was on edge for three or four days just waiting for them to bombard the restaurant or coffee shop, but they didn't. I was really hoping the universe would just clear a path for all of us to never see each other again. A couple weeks later, after my grill grease shift, I went upstairs to the bar for my usual double jack and coke. After I slammed back a few of those and was chatting with my bar acquaintances, I was caught off guard by Derek and his girlfriend walking into the bar. Fuck. Well, at least I'm drunk, so whatever happens now, I might not even remember, so that's the good news. We all chatted for a bit, and of course I apologized and blamed it on feeling too greasy from work, and they apologized for coming on so strongly, and then bam, we were all in the car again going back to their place. Hm. However, this time when we entered, there was no Roman orgy set up in the living room. They didn't expect to find me that night, and so our fabulous three-way scene was now going to take place in Derek's 9x7 bedroom on his twin mattress that lived on the floor. Perfect. I'm from Wareham. This is much more my style. 
This time I was drunk, so things were going much better. But I was still really struggling with that girl being there. She would kiss me and I would feel nothing. And then Derek would kiss me and I would feel everything. Yes, more of you, Derek. She got down on her knees to service us both and I was so turned off. There was Derek standing next to me with his D totally hard as his girlfriend sat on her knees in front of us and I had nothing but soft serve. It was sad, kind of. She was so desperate to turn me on, turn us on, she was making noises like a girl in a porno. Uh, 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 uh. Like, ugh, fuck, get this bitch out of here. Long story short, we had the three-way, and the only good parts for me were the gay ones. Derek blew me for like a good ten minutes while she watched, and even though I was finally not soft-serve, I could see it in her eyes that she hated that her boyfriend had a dick down his throat, and hated that I only got hard for him. That's understandable. Isn't that the downfall to every three-way? We did everything Derek wanted to do, including his precious DP. He asked if I bottomed, and I totally lied and was like, yeah, for sure, when the truth was I had never really done that yet. Yeah, well, when he put the tip in, I recoiled like a baby because it felt like fire. Ah, get out of here! God, Tommy, stop yes-anding everything. Jesus. He could tell I totally lied and was an ass virgin, so like a true versatile, he flipped over and had me top him. Now, he clearly had bottomed a lot as he took my D like a champ, and again, that look from his girlfriend made me think, hmm, is all this really okay? And then I thought, is it weird that I'm screwing a guy, or weird that his girlfriend is watching me fuck him? I don't remember how it finished. I don't even think I finished. I just remember it was sunrise when I left, so all in all, a decent three-way. Man, I really have no spine when it comes to peer pressure. What? You want me to fuck your girlfriend that I'm not really interested in with you? All to live out your fantasy I don't care about? Okay! Now that was the last time I ever had sex with a girl. Oh, wait a minute, was it? <laughs> no, yeah, it really was for sure the last one. <laughs> That's a wrap on Tommy screwing ladies. Fuck, I gotta get out of this mountain town before I have sex with everyone in it. You did it, yay! Make sure to follow me on Instagram at the Tommy Natoli. And you can also follow the show on Instagram at Thomas Anonymous Pod. Leave us a review on iTunes or just take a screenshot of some nice words you wrote and put it on the socials. What do I care? Express yourself. Thanks for listening. Okay, bye! <laughs>